Um, I'm going to speak to you this morning on a single word of revive, and it's going to be found in the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or however you choose to pronounce it. Um, you'll hear me call it Habakkuk today just because I got it from the source, and as far as I can tell, that's as close as I can get as an English-speaking person to the correct pronunciation, but we won't make a big deal out of it, even though we just did. So, so let's go with me to, to uh, Habakkuk chapter number 3, verse 2. You can see it on the screen if you'd like to turn. You're welcome. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I'd like to read this to you from the message of Peterson Translation this morning. God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. What does the term revive mean this morning? I wrote down a definition. It just simply means to return to consciousness or li- of life or life, to become active or flourish again, to restore from a depressed, inactive, or unused state, to bring back, to renew in the mind or the memory, to return, to flourish, to bring back, to renew. But what does that look like for you and me this morning? I don't think we need a doctor to tell us if we're hurting. We go to the doctor because we're hurting. And so this morning, wherever you may find yourself and whatever the source or location is of your pain or of your concern, I just want to draw our attention that I believe that in principle, that one way we begin to deal with that is a spiritual reviving in our life. We can address those things, but we also need to take the proper steps with it. The man Habakkuk this morning is a great prophet whom I've come to, to, uh, to respect as I began to research him a little bit. And he has one, one question, if I can throw that up there this morning. Go to the first one. Tolerance. He wants to know why God is tolerating some things that are going on around him. Matter of fact... He is confused by this, and him being a man of God and an agent of God's voice, he comes to the right source. He doesn't get in a focus group. He doesn't sit around over coffee and talk about it, and though I'm sure that happened among prophets. I don't know what that looked like, but he goes to God, and he asks God, why is God putting up with this? Matter of fact, his words were in, in uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 2, and go to that scripture, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? There's a timeline that he is wrestling with. The name uh, Habakkuk actually means to embrace, and an Akkadian meaning means to plant. And still another rendition is to wrestle or wrestler. I don't think he wore spandex, but, but I do believe that he had an active prayer life. He had an active life with God. He was not a passive agent in his relationship with the God he was talking to. Habakkuk was really concerned with these things, and as he was, he had good reason, because his life was planted between two great realities. He had lived on the post-revival of a king by the name of Josiah, who was a prophecy 
a king who had been prophesied actually earlier by another time period, years in advance. And this man, Josiah, showed up when the nation was in great turmoil and great trouble. And they were departed from their, their faith. And it seemed like anything was really happening, but he began to take steps. And he caused such great reform, it said there was not a king like him before or since. And that's even in comparing him to King David. So we see that this prophet, this minor prophet, I find interesting designation for organization of Old Testament books, um, is nonetheless speaking to a serious thing that he has seen concerning what revival looks like. He is coming on the tales where he knows what a lively, active, spiritual renewal looks like in the life, when it gets into the life of a person that he saw, King Josiah, who was just plodding along, doing his duty until a change. And then he was planted in between another king who had been, who had been placed there by an outside ruler who was a weak leader, who gave, went back to where they came from and who began to relax his life. And spiritually this morning, I feel like that we are always, if you study history for the church, we are always between something that's either great that has happened, no, having the knowledge of what happened, and what we're looking at, which we're saying, it's not about criticizing and measuring ourselves or a person against some spiritual past, but it's about the liveliness. You see, it doesn't have to look the same, but the spirit is the same. The spirit of it is without doubt that God is working, and I don't need that announced to me. I don't need that explained to me. I see it. It's living. It's alive. It's, it's something inside of us that is powerful and working. I remember when I was a kid, memory of just mom taking me to the mall, and, and uh, as kids do, I just loved running around the, the, the clothing racks, because that's what you do when your mom's shopping, when you're a little boy, you know, you don't, you're not looking at the latest style, so I was running around and hiding inside the clothing racks, and seeing if people knew I was there, and then I'd take off, and I would, I was keep hiding from mom, and I was going from place to place, and see if she could find me, and and finally, after a while, I kept going, and I popped out, and something else caught my eye, and I started going that way. And after a while, when I was done doing what I wanted to do, I was like, where's mom? And so I started looking for her, and I couldn't find her. I remember seeing an escalator, and I started asking people, hey, have you seen my mom? And I was like, I don't know. What does your mom look like? Well, she's really pretty, and she's got glasses, and and she's this, and I just gave her this description the best I knew how. They, it really wasn't good enough, but they, they said, I'm sorry, I really, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it wasn't, it's like today, they probably would have grabbed my, grabbed my hand and, and took me back and called, you know, CPS on her. I don't know what they would have done, but never, not, whatever, the, whatever, the case, uh, 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 whatever the case was, I finally found her, and I saw her, and I ran up, I ran up to her, I said, Mom, I said, I, I said where have you been? She looked at me, she said, I've been here, all, she goes, I've never left, I've been here the whole time. And I think that that's an accurate picture of what Habakkuk is seeing here, and that is that God is still the covenant God. He's still the loving, gracious Father. He's still the giver of mercy. But what he's seeing on the other side of that is, is that there's a departing from that. And while it started off as a little playfulness, a little relaxed attitude into who they were, suddenly it showed up where it took them further and further away from who they were destined to be. So much so now that when they come back and talk about God, it's a nuisance to get their sacrifices in order to bring to God. And they even cheapskate a little bit on some of that. They are distracted from their commitments to God on the Sabbath or in faithfulness to his house. 
they are engaged in injustice and different behaviors that are somehow, they, they do not register. They have created a dichotomy in who they are and their identity of how they can cheat and do violence and do other things and still, not, and still somehow in their mind say that we're still God's people. And this is the thing that, that he was trying to convey. He was saying, God, we are not who we used to be. There's injustice. And God, here's the killer. They're indifferent about your word, about your law. When I talk to them about it, they don't even care anymore. It's not on a high priority list for them. It's not that they totally ignore it completely, but they've just created a margin for you to fit into, and it's no longer the main thing for them anymore. He's distraught. Matter of fact, one commentator said he's in an impasse with God. Because he knows God and he knows what God is capable of doing. He knows God could, if he would, turn this nation to the ground. One more time. You've done it. I've seen you do it. I know you've done it. You can do it again. But then we go to our next next one. And that's the takedown. When, when, When Habakkuk is making his prayer, God answers him. Surprise. He's asked this. How many times have I asked you? And there's been no answer. But this time God answers. And when God answers, it's not the answer that he had hoped to hear. It's not the answer that he expected to hear. God begins to explain that in order to get his people's attention and back on the right relationship with him, in order to revive them, he's going to have to allow some things into their life. He's going to have to allow some things to happen to revive their focus and revive their attention on him again. He says there's going to come a nation, a nation who had just wiped out and just defeated Assyria. Assyria, meaning specifically Nineveh, if you recall with the prophet Jonah, who had prophesied and God brought great revival and saved the city. He had turned around and years later, the same nation that had repented had now gone back on their repentance and was now the same Assyria once again. So let this sink into your ears. Let me pause here for a moment because I believe this is a very important thing for us to understand. A reviving of our spirit, spirit is a very temporary, temporary enterprise. And it's so because it's meant to propel us into what is healthy and will continue to produce life. It's meant to get us into a pattern and a cycle of living faith and Christianity. But if you only live for the moment that you sense that reviving that is happening, if that's all that you live for, then you will begin once again to see the temporary aspect of it. It will fizzle out. It's not that it never was of God. It's that what God did was not perpetuated by those who had experienced it for their own selves. And this morning, it is such a responsibility upon our lives as believers not to somehow muster that up because it can't be. And that's how he is seeing this. We are in a stuck cycle And God's saying, this enemy's coming. And it says, his strength is his God. His strength is his God. And he only bowed. He has no law that he abides by. He does not not have checks and balances as you have had checks and balances. And God describes this in very concise pattern. So much so that this flips now uh, the prophet into not just sensing a need for reviving. But now he is deeply concerned. Because he knows what God is saying. And what he's saying to him is, is that there's something that's coming that's going to be worse than what you're experiencing. And where is the logic in that? 
And this is his cry back to God as he's talking to him. He, he says at one point, he's saying, how, how can you who is perfect and who is everlasting, who is right, how can you allow a nation, catch this, more wicked than your people to come in and to reign over them in this moment? He was crying out to God. He is having an issue with what God is going to do. One of the signature things about this prophet, this particular prophet, though it happens in sparse parts in other prophetic books, but its signature for this man is that he, other prophets, the body of their prophecy is speaking to the people about God. God has been offended. God is unhappy because they've disobeyed. They've strayed. He's not being petty. He is concerned about their future. But what Habakkuk does is he speaks to God about people. He is so deeply moved and deeply concerned that he hears what God's saying and he doesn't say, okay, this is my duty, but he's saying, God, how can you do it? This is against your nature. This is not, this is not against your nature because you're everlasting, but this, is, this can't possibly be the answer. Saints, can I, can I just say here this morning, I don't know if, if, if I can get a witness, if I can use an old way of saying it this morning, but how many can say you've ever been in a situation where your circumstances begun to teach the lesson, and instead of God sending more inspiration, we're looking for a leader to ride their skirt tails into a revival or a spiritual renewal, and God says there's discipline coming into our life in order to refocus our life on the spiritual livelihood that we can only attain by by seeing that we are too weak and too incapable of raising ourselves up out of the mess that we're in in order to be who God has called us to be as a chosen, blessed, called out people. So he's struggling with this, and I love this. I love this. It's really dramatic, but yet potent as it goes to chapter number two, and it comes to our next one. Trust issues. He's dealing with how God can deal with this as God is going to deal with this so he says these words I'm going to go up to the ramparts and I'm going to wait there matter of fact I love this it says another translation I'm going to stand he sees the eminence the need there's an urgency in his heart he realizes the 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 consequences the ramifications of what it would mean in order for God to do what he says he's going to do he realizes how it's going to affect, and so is he pleased with God. There's silence again from God, and he says, I'm going to wait up on a hill. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see what he will say. He's hoping there's a change. He's hoping there's some other way that this will happen. But the answer comes, and God begins to speak. He says, I want you to write this down. I'm going from telling you, now it's going to pin. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. Matter of fact, he says to him, prepare yourself for what's coming. Write it down, commit it to memory, reproduce it, can keep, reproduce it and spread the word. He's saying because this, he said, the proud and the upright, or proud are not upright in heart, but the just shall live by his faith. This is the word that he gives to Habakkuk. So as he's trying to understand how God is going to work, the way that he's going to work and how he's going to do this, God lets him know, number one, there's just some things we're going to have to walk through if we're going to experience a God-sent, spiritually real and, ex and life-changing reviving of our spirit. Discipline is not an exciting word. To use modern, it's not sexy. Discipline hurts. Discipline means I've been going, my bones have been healing this way, and God's going to have to break my arm and realign my arm so it heals properly. 
it means that there's going to have to be a breaking before there's an aligning and there's a healing. And so God speaks to him this, but he gives him hope. And this is what I love about this man of God. God gives him one word, and from that word, he takes that word as saying, he says, matter of fact, he says of his own mouth as he's speaking this, he says, the proud are not upright at heart, but the just shall live by his faith. And he catches on to that phrase, the just shall live by his faith. Wait a minute. What does that word live mean? That word live means to, re- means, means to revive. The person who looks to me, no matter what their circumstances are, no matter what is allowed, if they look to me, that person will experience reviving. It means to live, figurative or literally. It means, check this out, to keep, to preserve. God will preserve you through the difficulties of life that are thrown at you and that are allowed upon you. That he will heal you. That while the external forces around us and sometimes the internal issues of our life continue to persecute and continue to to chastise us, God says, I will bring healing. Doesn't this sound a little bit like grace? He says, I will heal. I will nourish you. Another, I will nourish you. He says, the just, those who are persistent to ride this thing out with me, he says, they're going to get nourished in impossible circumstances. What God is saying is, I'm God, no matter what the political climate is, no matter what the family climate is, no matter what your internal climate and reality is, I will be God that if you will begin to cast faith upon me, I will send a reviving in your spirit that is not measured in just I'm doing what's right, though that's maybe a step in the process, but there's something alive being birthed inside of me. It is the use in the sense of flourishing to convey an object is, get this, safe. Those who would trust him are not unsafe. Now this is important and I must Hurry along here, but this is so powerful. This little book, this minor prophet, as those who align the books in the Bible call him. It's out of this one scripture that the Apostle Paul forms his doctrine of forgiveness by faith through Jesus Christ with greater clarity from the Old Testament and understanding what Jesus has done in the New Covenant. Matter of fact, to the church of Asia, he wrote the words, the just shall live by faith. To the church in Europe, in a different letter, he wrote, the just shall live by faith. To the church that were Hebrews and Jews, who would more than anything understand, a writer of Hebrews that wrote the book of Hebrews wrote in one point, that the just shall live by their faith. There seems to be a pattern that while the early church was under persecution, the early church was experiencing false teachers and people painting a beautiful picture that was happy, happy, joy, joy in times when they needed to be back at prayer and they needed to be back focused more than ever on the things that bring spiritual life. He brought them back and saying, it's going to be the faith in Christ. It's going to be the relationship you are cultivating and nourishing that will carry you through any hell or high water that comes your way. That is life encouraging because it's life and faith lived in the real world and not as we would like it to be. So go to the next one for me. The tables turn. 
You see, I, I love this about Habakkuk because now Habakkuk, a lot of prophets you'll read, they'll go from that premise that God is going forward with his plan. And they'll begin to describe in very, very specific detail what's going to happen to the people. Because it was very true. They didn't take delight in it. Prophet Jeremiah wept in a different time period. Uh, other prophets, because that's why God chose them. They had his heart, just as this man carries the heart of God in this season. But what he speaks is this. Habakkuk turns and says, wait a minute. If God's saying, I'll flourish by my faith, I'm going to turn that faith towards my adversary. And he begins to prophesy against the enemy that will come in and do everything God said he will do is going to happen. Not because God is saying, I'm going to do it. He's saying, this enemy will do this. And he begins to say to them, God, this. This is where Habakkuk Habakkuk finds his peace and his rest and his faith as he says, God will punish the oppressor. God will come back on the one who punishes me. To trust God to bring his word to pass is to trust that he will bring it to its fitting and complete conclusion. You see, the thing that you're battling with and you had questions just like he has, why God, how long is this thing going to abide, this, this challenge, this fleshly thing in my body that I keep trying to put to death and it keeps struggling and everybody else is laughing at me and saying, why don't they and why didn't they? Hey, you're not living in my skin, right? So let me tell you something. Everything that has had that place and has built your faith up, God says, it's not to its conclusion, Because when we trust him, God is bringing us to a conclusion. But we can still be renewed in every victory to know. I love this. He goes on to say this. They are going to make a mockery and a song out of this enemy. And they're going to say the plunderer has been plundered. They're going to say the cup that when the Babylonians would come in and make people drink and make a mockery of them and get them drunk and, and watch them just, just make a, a complete fools out of themselves and ruin, ruin their lives because life is so horrid. He says, you will drink from the cup of God and God will come against you and you will drink from God's wrath. He's talking to the enemy here. Saints of God, I want to tell you the thing you had to drink, that suffering, that pain, nobody can explain and nobody, no matter what book of psychology or otherwise can really satisfactorily give a reason why you had to go through what you had to go through. But I thank God this morning that the enemy that has brought this in your life, not a flesh and blood, but the enemy and the, and the record God's keeping will drink of that which God is sent against him and he will bring you out once again to be triumphant over the enemy. Thank God this morning. So he has a vision of restorative order. I love this. And he even cries out at one point, having never had one stone turned over in the city yet, having not had one thing happen yet, but yet knowing what's to come. He says this, all I know is, is the knowledge of the glory of the God is going to fill the earth like the waters, the sea. He is, he is going off. He is just prophesying, speaking life. And he's literally saying this, that word I looked up, knowledge of the glory of God, it means a relational experiential and observational knowledge. So my relationship with God is going to get filled with a greater glory than I've ever known through this. I'm also going to experience, have a greater experience with God. I'm going to rely on my own faith journey, and I'm not going to always have to look to somebody else's to tell me it's possible because it's real in me. And furthermore, he says, I'll be able to observe it. In other words, I'm not going to have to be just told it's going I'll be able to recognize it will be something tangible in my life. Saints, I don't tell you, man, that 
excites me this morning. And then he cups this point off with this. The Lord is in his temple, a temple that had been plundered and sacked in years past and sometimes rebuilt or, 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 or repaired and so forth. He's saying God is in his temple. And to get this, he says, let the earth be silent before him. It's almost as in that moment as if Habakkuk was saying, I'm at peace with this. And he's saying, in the meantime, I don't have to experience the ruckus and the overturning and the doubts and the anxiety. That's not God's plan. God's saying, though something may have been allowed, it's not God's plan that it control you. But indeed, that there be silent because God's in his temple. He's there in that place. He's in a place where we know that he's still on the throne. He's still in control, though everything else appears not to be. And last, i got to move this forward. Tremble. How do I go forward? That brings us to our text this morning where he's crying out to God. He's crying out to God to revive his work in the midst of the years. We don't quit asking God. Well, when God wants to, he'll do it. That's not faith. That doesn't take any faith. That's resignation. That's giving up. You know what is faith? God, I'm still presenting myself before you. Change me. This isn't going to change. Change me. God, I can't stop them from not forgiving me for what I did back there. I can't stop them from the things that I did. And I know I was back there, but this is who I am now. But God, all I can do is come to you and keep reaffirming again that the just shall be revived by his faith, by your personal relationship with God. I love this because as he's speaking, this is important this morning, is he alludes to the past for hope for the future. You see, we don't need to go duplicate the past. You can't anyway. But what he's talking about is this. He references when God brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea. And I just went back to take a glance at that again, and it really, a couple words, phrases, a phrase stuck out, stuck out to me was, that when God brought Israel through the Red Sea, it says he brought them through the midst of the sea. He brought them through a terrifying place. But it says when Pharaoh followed, that he was drowned in the midst of the sea. And it's as you're faithful in the midst of this thing is when You'll walk out, but that thing will die there. That as you are faithful in pursuing him, the thing, as you are faithful, you will walk out and walk through it. But that thing, God, in the midst of it, will be washed away. And it is implied not to be seen again. Saints, this morning, my heart is crying out for a reviving of my spirit. It's been on my heart before I even knew pastor asked me to be here this morning and, and st still in this morning. But you know what? Whatever God's going to do, I know this. It's going to be a presenting. It's going to be a reconditioning, a resetting of my life into the way that God can make the change he needs to make the change in me. Let me hit you with this scripture and then we're going to pray here in just a moment. 
This is his words. He comes to, he talks about how God will rise up with his glittering spear. Now he's talking about God. He prophesied about the enemy. And they said, let me tell you how this is going to happen. God is going to get up and he has his glittering spear. I want to see that spear when I get to heaven. I want to see it. I say, God, can I see that spear? Because I've heard, it's the one I've heard about. That's the one that I didn't see hurling behind my back because I was running. And you had my back like Pastor talked about this morning. But if you don't think this sounds like faith, this is what faith looks like, saints. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice. I'm just going to go in my bedroom and have a spirit-filled party. Nobody needs to see me. I'm going to do my I'm going to dance. I'm going to rejoice. And if that makes you uncomfortable this morning, that's okay. You don't have to. If you just kneel and pray, I'm going to tell you something. I, I'm glad nobody sees me sometimes when I'm praying. <laughs> glad nobody hears me. I always, I hope not. But the point is, is this. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. Uh, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high heels. And I'll read this from another translation. We're going to pray. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart again and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. This morning, whatever you may have to walk through in order for that reviving to happen, whatever questions you're asking, God's turning us toward a cornerstone that is sparks revival like a flint. And that is, if you're not in a place yet where you can believe, as you present yourself again and do like he did. I love this. He didn't call a committee. He didn't call a meeting. He got alone with God. Sometimes, saints, let me tell you something. That is one of the biggest prescriptions any of us can do, is when we've got all our things up here, and everybody else telling us what we ought to do, and what we should have, could, and ought to be doing, to get alone with God and his word and what he says is possible, and begin to trust that. Not argue. Not get up and be boisterous and make a big thing about how, telling everybody on social media how it's going to happen. Just get alone with God, quiet alone with God, begin to pray, and begin to let faith, begin to see the spark of faith spark something in your life, like an ignition. Begin to bring life out of your hopeless situation because God's going to bring it to a fitting conclusion. Can we stand on our feet this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I pray this morning, Jesus, that, God, there's not a prescription for what something is or isn't going to be, but I know this. I know when I need it. And, God, I pray for every saint of God here this morning, every person who doesn't know you. I want to thank you, God, that if there may be here this morning someone who their faith just fizzled out because of circumstances of life, if that may be you this morning, I I, I got to tell you, he knows where you are. He knows where you are. He knows what's weighed you down. He knows what extinguished that hope. But all you have to do this morning is he's reaching out, as that song says, stretching out with arms open wide to you this morning. Be encouraged this morning. Come in and be embraced by the Father. Let him breathe new life into that dead faith. Could we pray? Jesus, be strengthen in every heart and life as we go today. Let every heart be revived. Let every heart be ministered to. And God, I ask that our lives would take on a new focus 
of being revived and renewed. Can I ask simply this? I'm not going to get fancy with this tonight, this morning, excuse me. Could, would we come down as many as we're comfortable and let's pray? Can we present ourselves this morning and just take a moment? It's early. I'm not going to drag it out, but can we take a moment to pray? Find a place of prayer. If you're facing impossible situations or things that have robbed you of joy, or there's been distractions, maybe you're fitting in that description. There's things that are no longer true of where you've been, that you're calling out for him once again and begin to cry out, God, revive me. Revive my faith that the day in and the day out of my walking with you, God, may I believe more, founded more from faith to faith, Paul said in Romans 1.17. So from faith to faith, revive our hearts, revive our lights this morning. Go ahead and sing it in. Let's worship.